Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Or tweet me at Jimmy Chill, at Jim Kramer. We're all learning to live with the new normal. But I need you to invest based on the new normal. Even as the averages ultimately pulled back this afternoon with the Dow sinking 170 points, S&P shedding 0.36%, NASDAQ advancing 0.15%, the companies that help you cope with our post-COVID reality took it in stride. For example, today a gaggle of analysts finally realized that people are investing in their homes like we haven't seen since before the financial crisis. Hey, maybe it was that great quarter from Lenar. Uh, they're selling new houses like there's no tomorrow. Or maybe it's a whiff uh, of Masco selling a lot of paint or Stanley Black and Decker moving a ton of power tools or all these record-setting mortgage application numbers. The result? Kramer Fave Lowe's hit a new all-time high today, up almost four bucks. It's just like that. You can get this stuff. This one's not exactly rocket science, people, when you're stuck at home. Of course you're going to spend money on home improvement. It's a capital, not an expense, especially when Uncle Sam writes you a check for $1,200. We're in an old enough to repaint moment. Thank you, Neil Young. So you buy the stocks of Lowe's or Home Depot. Another example, you can't go out anymore for anything, right? Movies, no. Sports, concerts, nothing. Everything's canceled. Gatherings are too risky. So you stay home. You get a cheap fire pit. You light up the Kingsfords, a Clorox product. You wipe down the chairs with, of course, Clorox. Can you go anywhere without this anymore? I can't. And you have your friends over for a sing-along, as we do almost every Saturday night. Siri, play Rocky Mountain High. Siri, play Rocky Mountain High. You know, you got to do it. You know what you have to do. I forgot. Siri, play Rocky Mountain High. That's what we do at our sing-alongs. I play it on Siri, and then Bill, who's the guitarist, he plays it, and then we get it going. Okay, well, you know, how can you not like that? Who does not like, does any of you not like John Depp? All right, all right, it's not a pop. All right, this crowd says no. All right. I, I like John Depp. All right, anyway, date night. Date night, what is date night, Okay. You stay home and cook, maybe using ingredients from Campbell's soup. Hey, stop laughing. We've been making stuff with this cream of mushroom. You think you... Or how about General Mills? Hey, man, I've been, I've been eating these things. You know what? They're not good for you. And yet we have ConAgra. Oh, look at this. I mean, Beyond Meat. This stuff is this stuff is dynamite. I'm not kidding. It's going... Okay, so it's not Lib Bernadette. All right? Or at least not exactly Liberta 10. But what are you going to do? 
All right. What are you going to do at this time other than these kinds of things? Maybe pick up a 10 pack of that Beyond Meat and you binge watch whatever new thing the Netflix algorithm picked out for you. You alone? Gaming time. Have you tried Red Dead Redemption? Call of Duty. How about another round of Grand Theft Auto? How about the next day? After all, I mean, we've got a lot of time to fill it. At work, every day is Tuesday, right? I mean, is today Tuesday? Today is another Tuesday, right? You know what tomorrow is? It's Tuesday. Every day is Tuesday. But, you know, on the weekends, you can do something. You can garden. I take pictures of bees. That's, I can imagine? Yeah, the secret life of bees, man. Cheap hobby. I'm almost agribusiness now without the Monsanto, of course. I mean, maybe you like maybe you go out the whale or the 18 foot whale. You go boating you go some fishing. Uh, that means if you can find a whaler, you, they're all sold out. Uh, you can't go buy some stock in Brunswick. They're crushing it. This is the first recession where the boat stocks are red hot. Unless you're buying a yacht, though, you're probably going to spend a lot less on entertainment than you did before the pandemic. There are only so many things you can do for fun right now, and most of them aren't that expensive. Travel's out. You really want to take a flight, you know, whose head was back there and the arms and stuff. I mean, until they can do a PCR test at the gate with instant results, I'm betting most people don't feel safe boarding a plane. Sure, you can fly first class. That way you're not packed in like sneezing sardines with other passengers. But there aren't that many first class seats, and they cost a fortune. You know, I want to go to Italy, and I, and I hear they'll soon be offering the on-the-spot test if you fly Emirates. That gives me comforts, but coming back, I'd have a two-week quarantine at home. How would that work? Hey, I'm Kramer. This is my house. Do you like my fireplace? Want to see my mom's abstract, expressionist, welded sculpture? No. Air travel's too much hassle. Even uh, taking flight out of the equation, do you really want to stay in a hotel? Who knows how long the virus stays on these surfaces? Nobody seems I've read like five different versions of what stays on and when. Uh, you're putting your life in the hands of housekeeping. Airbnb? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, all that's off the table. So you rent an RV and you clean it up with, your, with wipes. Uh, that's Thor Industries and Clorox again. Uh, you, you want to jazz it up, you stop off at Marcus Lemonis' joint, the camping world. Get yourself a tent, maybe do some clamping. Uh, these stocks all work in COVID world. In short, even with the economy reopening, the pandemic's changed the way we live our lives. And it's going to change them forever. Uh, even if we get a vaccine. Another example, until we get a vaccine, going to a restaurant means going to the drive through window or setting up a contactless handoff directly into your trunk that you'll be bragging about to your friends. I'd love to do this by bike, but forget about it. There's a huge bike shortage. Demand is off the charts. Many of these companies are moving their manufacturing out of China, so supply is constrained for the moment. If your favorite restaurant can't, take a, can't turn a profit from takeout alone, well, they'll probably go under. As soon as the Paycheck Protection Program money runs out, they're gone. You can't run a business with half your tables, half your revenues, but the same number of employees and the same rent payments. Don't be silly. It's arithmetic. Same goes for the bars. Most of the retailers, they'll all be gone. Only the big boys have the ability to survive a couple of dry months with minimal sales courtesy of the lockdown. Your typical independent merchant, they're just a foreclosure waiting to happen. Sorry, it's, look, I'm one of them. It's okay. They can try to augment their income online through a Shopify store or a Facebook shop, sell something clever on Etsy, but in, in most cases, it won't be enough. I say get familiar with the new unemployment insurance rules because that's where many business owners are headed. Small business, unless we get a vaccine. Now, I'm not trying to paint a totally grim picture here. It's not post-apocalyptic. There's a lot to like about the new normal. There's the sing-alongs outside. There's some of my favorite times that I have ever had. I love the music. Siri, play Neil. Y- you, know, you know what I mean? I love the Burning Kingsfords. I don't know. I, 
I wouldn't use it. Is there another? Is there another charcoal company? Um, I love the air. I love the space. I love the stars. I take pictures of the moon on the, the new iPhone. It actually comes out. I can't believe how much fun it is to just be around other people, even if I'm six feet from them. It, it's safe outside, too. They're, whatever they have that comes out of their mouth doesn't get to me. But I'm tired of listening to these economists who seem confounded about how there's so little debt being taken down, that there are oh, so few credit card defaults. There's so much saving. It's because there's nothing to do. Those vacations that you save forever to pay for, they're not happening. The restaurants that used to blow holes in your bank statement, they're history. The cross-country visits to friends or family, say hello to Zoom. The only people I know who are living their old lives are those who've had COVID and recovered. Sometimes I think we're all pretending right now. Are they really going to put thousands of people involved in the NFL under quarantine for the entire season? Remember, it's not just the 53 players on the roster. They got the coaches, the assistant coaches, support staff, all those people on the sidelines, many more in the office. Are we really sticking to the, sticking to the whole shebang of the NBA and Disney World? Vegas? Is the NFL going to find some fantasy island and play all their games? This stuff seems crazy. But it's the only way to do this safely. You can test the morning of the game, but without quarantine, Someone might come down with the disease during halftime. We don't know when you get it. As for the fans, of course, they can't let us watch in person. What happens if the person sitting next to you for four hours screams his or her darn head off? If that person has COVID, I'm guaranteeing that you have COVID the next day. The bathroom line, high risk even before the pandemic. Bottom line, many believe all these themes are ephemeral. They think that the Clorox is ephemeral. Lowe's, Brunswick, Thor, Camping World. Not true. Now they're realistic. They're longer lasting. I expect this to be the new normal for the rest of the year. Maybe longer. That's why these social distancing stocks have become some of the best investments around. I think they'll stay that way until we get a vaccine. Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Kramer. Love your show, and I watch you every night. Thank you, Joe. Uh, With uh, AT&T cutting 3,400 jobs and shutting down more than 250 stores because of the coronavirus pandemic, should I consider buying it? Well, I I think that they're doing the the right thing. I think that they have the cash flow. I don't like to reach for yield. I I do think that they are being very aggressive because they've got a hedge fund breathing down their neck. So I'm okay with it. I prefer Verizon. That's what my travel trust owns. Let's go to Brett in Texas. Brett. Jimmy Chill, how you doing, brother? Well, you know, I've had my ups and downs lately. There is an honest answer. He was actually just asking. I was supposed to say fine, but I gave him a real good answer. What's up? Right on I'm actually a paddle boarding on a Ladybird Lake Johnson uh, in Austin, Texas. So let, let me ask you a question really quick. Absolutely. Uh, I have a, all right. I have a heavy uh, Kramer COVID-19 portfolio, and I'm looking to get a, a bit more diversified as the economy okay. reopens. So um, you've been a fan of Wynn Casino, which owns the uh, Wynn Macau Casino in China. Yes. With an uptick, yeah, with an uptick in COVID-19 cases in China and a continuing uh, USA-China tensions, are you still recommending Wynn as a buy? Look, I think that, that Matt Maddox is going to beat this. He's going to come through this, and there will be gambling, and he will make the most money. And I think his plan would actually make me feel very safe gambling there. I do like to play cards very much. And what he did, his, his, the way he showed me that we'd be safe, I would play cards there, no problem. 
Siri. Siri, play it. West Virginia. Mountain Mama. Take me home. Yeah, this is it, man. We are home. This is the new home. Invest based in the new normal. The themes I just told you about. Hey, guys, they're no longer ephemeral. It's the real deal. We just don't want to admit it. On Mad Money tonight, can Union Pacific keep chugging along in an uncertain market? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out what he's seeing. Then, it was a royal welcome for Royalty Pharma when it hit the tape yesterday. So is it worth considering here? I'm giving my take on the newly minted company. And Nextdoor announced a slate of new services to help local businesses connect with their communities. Don't miss my sit-down with Kramer Face CEO Sarah Fry. Find out how she's helping neighborhoods around the world and doing it in a very, very nice and courageous way. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. We saw that phenomenal retail sales number yesterday. It made me think, hey, you got to own the rails. All aboard. This whole industry is a perfect proxy for commerce. And with commerce coming back, you have to believe the cargoes will come back, too. Take Union Pacific, currently my favorite railroad. In late April, this company reported a surprisingly resilient quarter, part because the precision railroading initiatives have allowed them to cut costs. Costs dramatically. When we realized that the world wasn't ending, the stock started roaring. In fact, it came within spinning distance of its all-time high earlier this month. But then we got some not-so-hot rail traffic data last week, and COVID cases started spiking again in the Sun Belt. The Union Pacific's now down about 16 points from its recent highs. So could this be a buying opportunity of this great railroad, maybe the best way to invest in the return of American commerce? Let's take a closer look with Lance Fritz. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Union Pacific. He had a clear sense of where his company's headed. Lance, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to join you. All right, Lance, I am beginning to see green shoots. Our uh, auto reporter, Phil LeBeau, is saying that the numbers have finally turned up. They're not that much down from last year. That, I think, is very, very important. Housing numbers, because you move a lot of wood. Nine straight good weeks of mortgages. Are you seeing the green shoots that I am? Yeah, Jim, I am. But before I get to that answer, I also want to start with just a shout out to my employees and the excellent work they're doing, keeping themselves, each other and their families and loved ones at home safe and healthy. So they're doing a tremendous job supporting the economy, as you point out. And I am seeing those green shoots. We're seeing it in the automotive industry, housing. We're also seeing it in grain through the U.S. or the uh, U.S. China phase one deal. And I'm seeing it uh, a little bit in construction of things like road projects and rock. So, so across our markets, we're seeing 
a, a few signs of optimism. Now, is it possible, Lance, because you've become such a great operator, that even with a little bit of more business, that it could fall to the bottom line and make it so the comparisons won't be as tough? Yeah, Jim, there's no doubt that with our current operating ratio in, in the first quarter, we had the best margins in the industry. There's no doubt that incremental volume creates wonderful incremental margin. The other thing that operating ratio does for us is it, it fundamentally shifts the playing field. We can now compete for business that looks attractive to us at pricing that two years ago didn't look attractive. It's really opened up markets for us. Well, can it open up markets for things like e-commerce or is the stuff that e-commerce ships too small for you? Oh, shoot. Uh, our parcel business is up strong double digits right now. We are, we are seeing the e-commerce demand flow through to our, our rail business. I did not know. It's fantastic. At the same time, we know the energy went down to minus 37. It's come back a little. You do have some energy exposure. Uh, you also have some coal exposure. How are those two cargos? Yeah, so coal is in long-term secular decline, right. and, and we continue to see that. Uh, if you compare it to the kind of coal volumes we shipped 15 years ago, we're down easily about two-thirds. Uh, it looks like it's going to be steady. It's going to grow or shrink with weather and with competing fuels and the impact on things like uh, natural gas pricing. But in the long, long run, I, I think that that's a piece of business that probably is in long-term secular decline. We do see in the energy world things like uh, wind turbines, uh, equipment being shipped. Uh, we see some LNG going in and out of storage, mm -hmm. LPG. Uh, we also see petroleum and petroleum products, refined products uh, that we ship. A lot of that's uh, being shipped into Mexico right now. Well, let's talk about this plastics business. Because you are, you are smack in the middle of it. The last time you were here, we talked about how good it, they're building so many plants. Now it's starting to come to fruition. Is America going to be the capital of this business in the way that China used to be? I'm telling you, it is. Uh, if you look globally, the United States is now tending to be the low-cost producer for plastics. There is an exception to that. Sometimes you'll go into the Middle East and you'll find facilities where natural gas as a feedstock is literally free. But if you set that aside, and even with that, the United States is exceptionally competitive globally. And it's producing more than the United States can consume, so it's also helping the trade balance. And we see that in a product, you know, as you know, we've got a wonderful Gulf Coast franchise and we're taking plastics from the Texas Gulf Coast and the Louisiana Gulf Coast, moving them up to Dallas to an intermodal facility where there's a lot of international intermodal boxes that are made empty, filling them with the plastics and then shipping them off the West Coast back to Asia for consumption. It's a wonderful model. Oh, that is very, very good. And not was well, not there five years ago. Now, how about uh, if we got an infrastructure bill, uh, the roads would be better and that would uh, compete with you more. But you do have a great intermodal business. Isn't one of the great advantages of the rails that our roads are crumbling? Absolutely. You, you hit it right on the head. The, the beautiful thing about railroads and taking trucks off the highway into our intermodal product is, one, we are far more carbon efficient and fuel efficient, four or five times as much. And two, you don't have to rely on the Highway Trust Fund 
to fund railroads. We own our own railroad right-of-way, and we make those investments every year on our own cash flow. So it, it's free to the American public to bring it onto the railroad, and it's better for the environment. Now, the analysts aren't speaking at all about, uh, about Mexico, which you guys really have a fabulous business. And we, we're coming up with a new NAFTA deal, much better than the old one. What does it mean for Union Pacific? Yeah, USMCA goes into force on July 1st. And our perspective of the deal is that the U.S. Trade Rep's office and, and Bob Lighthizer specifically, with his counterparts in Canada and Mexico, have negotiated a much better an enhancement to the NAFTA deal. So for us, it means the linkage, the supply chain linkage between the U.S. economy, the Mexican economy, and the Canadian economy are going to continue to grow and become more and more powerful. And we as a trading block are going to be much more competitive globally. It's, it's just a home run. It's a big win for the U.S. economy. One last question. I know you had to, and I know this is not what you want to do. You had to, I'm going to say furlough, not close, three different facilities. When I listen to you, Lance, I think it could be month by month. It may be. Maybe we even see those places open by your end. Yeah, Jim. So the fact that volume's off so much for us uh, means there's less work in our front line, uh, whether you're running the trains, fixing the railroad, fixing the cars, or, or fixing the locomotives. So we've had those jobs because of the work de- decrease. We've had to furlough employees out of those jobs. I'll also tell you, Jim, that we, we've done a tremendous job of sharing the burden across all employees. Our management employees are, for the months of May, June, July, and August, uh, having to take one unpaid week leave of absence every month. Uh, and our executives and our board have taken a 25% pay cut. The whole idea wow. was to make sure we maintain the flexibility to have the workforce we need when the, when the economy comes back, but be prudent and react to being down 25% on volume. Well, Lance, thank you so much. It's great to hear some optimism, which is justified by facts, not by fiction. It's always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. It's a real pleasure. Okay, that's Lance Fritz. He's Union Pacific Chairman, President, CEO. Ah, I wish my travel trust owned this stock. Well, there's always a chance. Stick with Kramer. The IPO market's making an incredible comeback. And you know what? That's fantastic. Six months ago, I would have been appalled at a fresh round of red-hot initial public offerings. Today, I'm thrilled. Why? Because this is the beginning of a brand new IPO cycle, and they are cycles. See, IPOs come in waves. There's a pattern to these things. By late last summer, the investment banks had kept flooding us with more fresh-faced stocks of increasingly bogus companies, a lot of Chinese ones, too, as they'd already blown through all the good ones last spring. And that's how the cycle works. In the beginning, the book runners try to entice investors with high-quality merchandise, or at least high-quality merchandise that they price at bargain basement levels. For example, Zoom Video. It came public at 36 last April. Immediately spiked at 65 at the open. Two months later, it was at 100. They're trying to lure you back into the stock market casino with things like that. But there are also so many terrific privately held companies that the underwriters can underprice. I mean, eventually they run out of quality inventory and start to sell you less enticing merchandise at marked up levels. Uh, Like last fall, when you got deals like Smile Direct Club... 
a competitor Invisalign, which we like, that priced at 23 before finishing its first day of trading at 16 and falling below 10 two months later. The house of pain. Very competitive industry, even before the pandemic. Why would you want to knock off to Invisalign? Finally, investors get sick of devouring this garbage and the IPO market shuts down. Last year, the final straw was WeWork, the much-hyped office space play run by a genuine wild man who was a blast to be around, (laughs) but apparently too eccentric to be a CEO. When the WeWork deal imploded, the flow of new IPOs slowed to a trickle. Then COVID came to town and even the trickle stopped. But with the market roaring over the past couple of months, propelled by a new young cohort of uh, investors, Wall Street has an appetite for IPOs again, and the investment banks have turned the spigot back on. At the beginning of the month, Warner Music came public, selling nearly $2 billion worth of stock. Right up there. Next day, we got Zoom Info, the first cloud-based software deal of the year. Wow. And Shift 4 Payments, a financial technology play that roared right out of the gate. He's making money hand over fist here. Last week, we got Vroom, an e-commerce platform for used cars, along with Azek, which makes sustainable building products. They're like Carvana and Trex, respectively, two stocks that are currently on fire. Good doppelgangers all. Then yesterday morning, we got the biggest deal of the year. The one I really want to talk about, we got Royalty Pharma, which sold $2.175 billion worth of stock. I spoke to the CEO, Pablo Lagaretto, in the squawk on the street yesterday. I like him. He told an incredibly compelling story. In a nutshell, Royalty Pharma is not your normal pharma company. No, they don't run their own research and development labs. Instead, they find other companies with promising drugs in the pipeline, and then they invest in those drugs. Once those compounds hit the market, while these guys collect royalty payments, hence the name, it's been around for a while. I want you to think of Royalty Pharma as a healthcare hedge fund that invests in the development of individual drugs, one that's got a phenomenal track record. This is the kind of stock that works in good times and bad, which is why it exploded higher right out of the gate. The book runners had to increase the size of the deal by about 10% because there was so much demand. Even then, Royalty Pharma priced at 28 bucks, the high end of the range, for shooting up to 44.50 by yesterday's close and tack you at another 9% today. Deserving. I wish I told you to get a piece of this, but I probably wouldn't have got it anyway. I think the story is so compelling that it's worth putting on a small position even up here. Then, if the stock cools off, you can back up the truck and buy more. What makes me say this? Well, because uh, uh, Pablo Lagaretta explained yesterday, we're in a golden age of medical research. This is an industry that plows through $300 billion a year, and a third of that from governments and nonprofits, the rest from business. Royal, let me, well, well, why don't you listen to this? This tells you how they do their thing. What we started to do is to fund research and the, uh, products in the hands of the biotech companies, this incredibly nimble entrepreneurial companies, that have gotten funded by venture capital firms and, you know, use that money to fund the early stage of the trials, phase one, phase two. When the, these drugs get to phase three, a lot more capital is required. And at that moment, we come in. That is a brilliant strategy. Come in when the drugs have proven themselves, but there's still one more incredibly expensive hurdle, phase three. And the developers need cash to make the jump because only huge pharma can get past this stage alone because you've got to recruit all these people for a trial. And that's a gigantic amount of capital. With a company like this, though, you're betting on management's ability to pick winners. When you look at Royalty Pharma's portfolio, they clearly have the Midas touch. 
This company has a stake in 22 different billion-dollar drugs, including seven drugs with over $3 billion in sales. And believe me, they spotted them ahead of time. Now, I've been recommending, for instance, Vertex for ages because of its incredible cystic fibrosis franchise. Well, Royalty Pharma owns a piece of that franchise. They're getting a cut of Biogen's multiple sclerosis franchise. How about AbbVie's big blood cancer drug and Gilead's prophylactic for HIV? How about oncology, diabetes, pain management, migraines? including the new migraine drug from Kramer Fave Biohaven. I bet you Biohaven gets a bid. This thing's so good. It, it, it even tastes good. Um, don't worry. I'm the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation. I can say stuff like that. I'll put it all together, and Royalty Pharma seems like the perfect way to play biotech with the same sort of upside that comes from speculating in these smaller plays, players, but less risk because the portfolio is diversified across the entire industry. It's a lot better than some stupid brain-dead ETF that was put together to fleece you with big fees. Again, it's like a hedge fund that invests in individual drugs, a hedge fund with a terrific 25-year long track record. As their older drugs go up patent, their newer ones start making money. I I asked about that, like the Biohaven uh, approved migraine treatment, the Nurtec. When it comes to this business, there are some imitators. But nobody comes even near royalty. Nobody in terms of scale. Since its founding in 1996, they spent $18 billion buying royalty streams. Next closest competitor only did $2.4 billion worth of deals. Unlike most IPOs, the company's incredibly profitable, and it's got consistent revenue growth. They even pay a dividend. Although, because the stocks run so much, it's only going to be yielding about 1.23%. But still, that's pretty astonishing for something that only came public yesterday. Finally, this deal is backed by General Atlantic, the legendary private equity fund. And historically, we have done very well when they've done very well. Of course, royalty isn't perfect. When one of the royalty contracts expires or a drug goes off patent, the revenue can get choppy. That's what happened with AbbVie's Humira in 2018 and Pfizer's Lyrica last year. But management knows when these drop-offs are coming, and they're always replacing their old royalty streams with new ones. However, my main concern here is the stock. The things went from 28 to nearly 50 in the blink of an eye, and I hate the chase. Fortunately, unlike most IPOs, Royalty Farm is easy to value. When you look at the trailing earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and, and amortization, which we call EBITDA, but some congressman was saying it was uh, EBITDA. Uh, did you hear that? It was kind of funny. Uh, this stock sells for roughly 16 times that EBITDA number. That, the, the, by the way, the Fed chairman corrected him by just saying, oh, EBITDA. That makes it a lot more expensive than slower growers like Gilead or Biogen, but a lot cheaper than Vertex. It's kind of in the ballpark of Zoetis, that animal health pay I like so much. And it's a bit more pricey than Regeneron, which I think is going to solve uh, the pandemic. And using these trailing numbers really isn't fair to royalty because they uh, lost Umara last year. The bottom line. As the new IPO cycle gets going, the brokers like to put their best foot forward, and that's Royalty Pharma. I like this one a lot more if it pulls back, but honestly, I think it's worth putting on a small position up here because the long-term story is so compelling, and then buying more if perhaps it comes down. Remember, the winners are the ones that are early in the IPO shoot. The losers, we're going to flag for you, and those investment bankers, they're going to have to pay because they're going to look stupid. Kevin in New Jersey. Kevin. Jimmy, too. Yo, yo. <laughs> I want to ask you about Warner Music Group since you're talking about IPO. Yes. We've, we've seen uh, Vroom and Zoom Info take off as soon as they, they launched their IPO. Uh, Warner Music Group has been modest with, you know, slow gains. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I think it's going to be okay. It's not my favorite of these ones that have just come public. I like royalty more. Um, I, and I think, but I, it's been a good one. But if I owned it, I would 
half and then let the rest run. Thank you for the Jimmy Chill. My wife is so sick of Jimmy Chill. She says, look, all that is is just another way to make it so people can tell you horrible things about what you've done at every single turn of your life since you were born. Or maybe even before then. Maybe you were like a glint. Now, I think the brokers are going to be all over this royal ph- royalty pharma. I think it's a compelling story, and I'd especially like it on a pullback, but it's okay to do some buying now. Much more mad money ahead, including my sit-down with privately held next door. Now, after some criticism over some racist moderation systems, the private player is reshaping its policies on how it com- its uh, communities discuss racial justice. It's also doing some terrific things for local business. I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then, coronavirus cases just set a record in Texas. What does it mean for the market? I'm offering my take. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Even as the broader economy comes back to life, small businesses are in big trouble because social distancing is costing them a fortune. Many smaller operators now face a choice, go digital or go under. Fortunately, there are a ton of companies that will help you make that transition. It seems like everyone with a social network wants in on this action. Take Nextdoor, the probably held neighborhood-based social networking platform. Here's a company that was already having a big moment thanks to the lockdown. Earlier today, though, they announced a slate of new services to help local businesses connect with their communities. I think it makes a ton of sense, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Sarah Fryer, the bankable CEO of Nextdoor. Find out more about this pivot. Ms. Fryer, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you. Sarah, you know that we and our family and our neighbors are all, all big fans of Nextdoor. <laughs> I've begged you to give us a chance, the small businesses, to give us a chance to sell our wares or show them off. It sounds like you're doing it. Yeah, we, we always listen. When customers speak, Jim, we're right there for you. And you're right. Um, you know, clearly it's been a wild time since we last spoke. A global pandemic that made Nextdoor incredibly relevant and usage was up 80%. From there, clearly now in stark relief, um, a social crisis that's going on. Nextdoor also has a role to play there to bring people together with disparate opinions, but make sure there's no place for racism on a platform like Nextdoor. But then to your point, a financial crisis at a local level where local businesses have just seen their business potentially disappear over the last few months. We know that they want to be able to speak on Nextdoor to their best customers, their neighbors. Historically, we've not allowed that to happen. We didn't want to over-commercialize the feed. But we feel we've gotten to a good place where we can make it work for businesses to have free business postings, a free page, a local deal, and, of course, a dashboard that will tell them how their marketing is doing. And we know that neighbors are listening. They want to help those small businesses survive and thrive. Okay, so I, I call my manager when I, when I see this today, and I say at Bar San Miguel, listen, I want you to go on next door and tell people we are alive. We are where we are in business. I mean, there, remember, in phase two's coming in New York. So he, he, he did not know it. I said, listen, you can get started this way. What are the tiers that we can use to get things rolling here? Yeah, it's great of you to ask. So first of all, go to nextdoor.com slash local business, and you'll see a way to get your business page up and going. That's the place where you can talk about your business, some great photos, in your case, a menu, maybe your delivery options. And then from there, get going with business posting. So as you're pointing out, I think what businesses get when they come to Nextdoor is effectively they're immediately in front of all of their neighbors. They don't need to create a followership. The example I always give is my local hair salonist 
showed me her great Instagram page and it's beautiful, but she only has 35 people following her. Oh. On next door, that same content is gonna go out to almost 70,000 people in her neighborhood, but in her nearby neighborhood. So that instant distribution. Second thing is these are verified members, the people who live around you, your neighbors. And then finally, what you're getting to is small businesses have so much dynamism and what they need to be saying at the moment. Shelter in place means that conditions change maybe daily or weekly. So they need to be posting about, are you open? Are you open for delivery, for pickup? What's the way you're going to allow people to shop safely with PPE or do you have to wear a mask? Do you need workers? Um, Are workers out there needing work, right? There are all of these messages that we think make for really interesting content on Nextdoor. And over 70% of our neighbors say they want to shop more locally and they understand that they need to put their dollars to work locally. So this is a great way to bring those connectors together. It's incredibly neat. I can tell you as a small business person, this is a guy. I mean, my, my wife is the manager of what I'm, I said, when is Sarah going to give us a chance? And I told you that many times. We've had some good comments. I like something else you did. Our mutual friend, Mark Benioff, has said over and over again, there is no room no free speech for racism. But there's some other people who might think maybe they either are want to look the other way or afraid it might cost too much money to stop it. But you took it head on. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I think it's the only way. We all need to be on the right side of history. There is no place for racism in our world in, as individuals, as communities, as neighborhoods, and definitely not as businesses. And so we want to unequivocally state that there's no place for racism on next door, no, no place for harassment or for hate speech. That said, we know we have real work to do. Um, so we've been working on this for many years. We work with many partners. We have some great advisors on our Neighborhood Vitality Advisory Board, um, but there's still more work to do. So we wanted to also step, step up to the plate on that front, too. All right. So, I mean, how can you determine what one person's racism is some other person's choice? Yeah, well, some things I think are very explicit, and those can be taken off the platform immediately using technology. I think in other cases, it is about perspectives. Um, and to your point, Nextdoor is there to bring together people that have very divergent perspectives often and to talk. And what we see is when those conversations start to happen, people perhaps start to find some common ground. Right now, I think we're all in the business of educating ourselves, particularly those of us with privilege. Um, And what better way to educate yourself is by hearing those divergent perspectives. So that's what we're trying to do as we bring the platform um, to bear in terms of this particular societal crisis, too. All right, Sarah, I want everyone to go to Nextdoor, which is, I know, uh, Heather Gaines, one of our producers, she and I talk about it. She's lives in my neighborhood. We live by it. My wife is so excited about this. Lisa just said, finally, she's a big fan of yours, obviously, although not Northern Irish, uh, and just feels that this is our chance as a small business person to be able to connect with the neighborhood and tell people we didn't close. That's what we really need to do. Sarah Fryer, CEO of Nextdoor, thank you so much for being on Man Money. It's always great to see you. Always good to see you, too. Take thank, care now. Thank you. All right, you got to stick with Kramer. Then you got to stick with my buddy, Sarah Eisen, who had some great comments today about Jeremy Grant when it was over. I hope you listened. She does not tow the party line. And here's what she has on tonight. Tonight at 7 p.m., a cautionary tale of one town where businesses now need to close again after employees test positive for COVID-19. Plus, doctors in L.A. are urging the state to reopen surge centers. See why they have good reason to fear the worst. And what's it like to go to the dentist these days? All tonight at 7 p.m. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Over the lightning round, because you're going to start with Ben in Delaware. Ben. Hey, Jim. Love the show. Thank you. What do you think about the Six Flags? No, you'd rather be, if you want to be in that, you want to be in Cedar Fair. Six Flags isn't well run enough. Let's go to Brian in New Jersey. Brian. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you? All right, very good. Quick question. Uh, I'm in this DraftKings at 28. I like the company, but I don't know if it's hype or if this thing's going to run as sports start to open up. What do you think? Well, you're in at 28? Well, I mean, okay, so let's say we're gamblers, okay? Well, we know we want to take some off the table. So we take some and we let the rest, then we let the rest run. That's just what we would do with the tables. We do the same thing with DraftKings. Let's go to Gerard in Connecticut. Gerard. Hey, Kramer. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, Thank you very much. I want to say thank you for everything you do. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. Thank uh, you. What are your thoughts on what, what are your thoughts on STM, the stock STM? It's a very good company. I like the semiconductors. I like analog. I like NXPI. I like Qualcomm. I like AMD, and I like Nvidia. I like STM Micro. Okay, let's go to Tim in Connecticut. Tim. Hey, Matt. I mean, uh, Jim. Yeah. Uh, my my son Matt is just getting into investing, and I tell him to listen to Kramer. I like that kid. Yeah. We like uh, your hold or sell advice on a long-term holding of ours. It's called Old Republic Old International Republic. Wait, why don't you say buy? 5% yield, very well-run company. I think that that's a good buy. I think Old Republic's been, it's been around forever. It's very well-run. Let's go to Brittany in Michigan. Brittany. Hi, Jim. I'm Hi, a new caller. My husband and I love your show. Thank you. And I just wanted to know your opinion on why that. That... I think we're late to quit, Uh Look, sometimes you have to just say that. That stock has had a huge run. I feel we're late to it. Need a pullback. Let's go to Ed in Florida. Ed. Big, big booyah from South Florida, Jim. Nice. What's going on? Well, I, first of all, I've been watching your show since the inception, and I want to thank you for all you do for us uh, small thank gamers you. here. Thank you, boss. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You have a hell of a team. I tell you, you guys are really, really great. Team and, is and fantastic. I, team is yeah. fantastic, and it's been tough because there's very few people out here all at once. It's been a very tough time to do the show. It has not been fun, but we try every every day very hard. What's going on? Well, I'm very much uh, interested in this uh, one stock. I did buy some shares uh, several weeks ago, and I'm not sure if it's still a buy or not. Uh, this stock is called Novavax. I've had Novavax on. When did I have them on? I had them on was at 2, at 4, at 6, at 8. And I think you ought to take all of your principal out tomorrow morning. You can let the rest run, but I want you to play with the house's money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. What did you expect? Uh, that was my first thought when I saw that Texas had an 11% spike in COVID hospitalizations today. I mean, there are now 2,793 Texans in the hospital with this thing. It's 275 more than yesterday, and that is horrible. The good news, we know a lot more about this virus than we did a few months ago, when the Northeast got hit with a tsunami of COVID-19. In March, we thought it was a respiratory disease. We thought it was like SARS. Turns out it's really a vascular disease, and we've been treating it incorrectly. We just learned that a common steroid, dexamethasone, one that I've been on, uh, can reduce the mortality rate for severe cases by a third. 
The virus is so novel that we didn't know something this obvious hadn't been tried yet. Instead, we spent way too long chasing our tails with this hydroxychloroquine because of some discredited French study and its adoption by our president. I think this new spike in hospitalizations across the Sun Belt has to do with a brutal misunderstanding of this pandemic. A lot of people seem to think they're immune because they've got grit. Believe me, the virus doesn't care how tough you are. It's incredibly contagious. If you're inside with someone who's sick, you need to stay six feet away from them and hope that person's wearing a mask. Otherwise, tag, you're it. Speaking of masks, you don't wear them to protect yourself. You wear them to protect other people because you might be infected without knowing it. I lead my life like this. So does everyone else I know in the New York metro area. We don't socialize inside at all anymore. We're always outside. It's much safer. We've seen enough death to know better. Everyone seems a little behind the curve on this thing. I wear a band because my temperature was normal this morning, but I wear a mask anyway because by the time you have a temperature, which is what the band shows, it's already too late. You can spread COVID even if you don't have symptoms. So you always need that mask. Remember, it's simple math. Masks aren't perfect, but if everyone wears them, we can stop the spread in its tracks and keep it relatively low until we have a vaccine. You want to avoid a second lockdown? Wear the darn mask and convince everyone else to do the same. Unfortunately, we have a live for your die culture in this country, and a lot of people are choosing the former and getting the latter because of that stance. As those of you who follow me on Twitter know, I'm constantly asking about masks in the state of play. I know our caseload is way down in New York, in part because the city only came out of lockdown last week, and in part because we treat social distancing like a religion, and the mask is our gospel. Where I live, you can't go into a store without a mask. No mask, no service. Frankly, I don't want to go into a store without a mask. I fear being sneezed on or coughed at. I know you catch COVID from close contact and droplets that can land on you. The closer the contact, the more likely you get sick, which is why being in a packed crowd is a lot more risky than waiting in line at the grocery store. The disease is a numbers game, and I want to improve your odds, especially I want to improve my odds. That's why I like Costco's policy that you need to wear a mask no matter what. Everybody has to. My Twitter feed is filled with people who've been heckled or ridiculed for having masks on. Again, because of that stupid live for your die attitude. The federal government did us no favors. In the early months, they insisted you didn't need a mask. Just two days ago, the Surgeon General said they're worth wearing. Thanks, pal. Although I don't think the president would be caught dead in one. To me, not wearing a mask is totally selfish. The whole point is to protect other people. It's just common courtesy, at least until we get a vaccine. That's why Costco's monthly numbers are up big, because even though plenty of people won't go due to to the mask policy, lots more willing to endure because it's safe. Makes sense. Produce, paper towels and power tools simply aren't worth dying for. Listen, I want to get ahead of this thing. If these hospitalization numbers keep climbing, you'll all be clamoring for masks. This has nothing to do with live free or die. Believe me, a face mask is not the hill you want to die on. And I am determined myself, if I have to, to get the best one made for you. Yeah, it's come to that. And I'm going to do it. Stick with Kramer. Siri, play Rocky Mountain High by John Denver. See if it works. Who knows, right? All right. Well, never. nothing's perfect. Uh, no, there it is. We got it going. Yeah, another good day for the market. There'll be more ahead. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. 
CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.